It's good to see you all. Now, oh, thanks. Sorry, my, I'm wearing socks today. They're really bothering me. <laughs> Hold on a sec. We are um, talking around this idea of, of longing in a sec. You know, um, at the beginning of school years, there's this big idea, this big thing. And, and, you know, if you have kids, you do this. You take a picture of your kid like the first day of school. A, a few years back, I remember taking a picture of Anna the first day of school and she was like not into it because, you know, she was like 18. So, you know, but like the flash didn't go off. So it's just like her in the darkness. And so that's what I have. But a lot of parents get pretty good at it because it kind of marks, you know, their growth, their development and, and uh, show the first one. You know, some people take pictures like this with a creative uh, like chalkboard declaring, you know, all the essentials for their child, who their teacher is. Maybe you've done this for your child. It's so cute. And then you post it on Instagram and, you know, all these kinds of things. But sometimes the uh, chalkboard looks great, but the child's having, you know, an off day, you know, so that's, that's kind of what you get. And, you know, sometimes the mom is having an off day as well. And that's what I love that one. Oh, come on. You know that one was planned. You know the mom's like, this will be hilarious. And the kid's like, oh, I'm, a, I'm a loser. No, I'm just kidding. But something that's uh, consistent often, and my wife does this uh, with the kindergartners, or we do this with our kids, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do when you grow up? Then that first picture the, on the chalkboard of the kid smiling, his goal was to be a monster truck. But there's a lot of fun answers in this. And we also know this question as we age, what do you want to do or what are you doing can feel a little bit heavier. Sometimes you're like, man, am I good enough? Sometimes it's like, man, is this what I planned on doing at this time in my life? This idea of what do you do and how do you do it, it stays with you. Back in 1905, there was a book written by Max Weber called The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. You know, you know it's an engaging book. And really, this was a German sociologist who observed the, uh, how Puritans engaged with work. In a brief synopsis, it's how faith or set of values informs work ethic, culminating in a spirit of hard work and progress. Like, this is who you should be. A scholar who was influenced by this writing some point later connected this to, like, whether they were really elected by God or not. He wrote, a person who was indifferent and displayed idleness was most certainly one of those apart from God. But one who was active, austere, and hardworking gave evidence to himself or herself and to others of being, God, of being one of God's chosen ones. That's a heavy statement. That this guy said, if you're hardworking and you're diligent, you must be of God. But if you're not, you're apart from God. At some point, though, this mentality of the laziness is the worst possible sin kind of became nebulous and kind of became like, oh, is that really true? Because in today's society, we have a different way of looking at this. 
Particularly with the advent of adult millennials in the job market, the view on work has kind of swung, not from just doing and grinding through it, but really a skill set takes a backseat to passion. The practical necessities of income is often sidelined by, I want to have a meaningful impact. Articles from major cultural moguls like BuzzFeed advise people to just study and work in whatever areas you're interested in, even if it's just for a hobby or totally unrelated. That way, when your dream job business comes up, you'll be perfectly and uniquely qualified for it. Where this mindset of how hard you work determines your, how close you are to God and this balance like, no, but I want to make a difference. The modern concept is, is what, we are going, what we're being paid to do is also what we're counting on to fulfill me. And even that ends. Because eventually we go through seasons of life or we have bad days or bad months and we wonder, there's got to be something different. And you yourself are your own best evaluator of this, right? I mean, you could ask yourself, what is it that I'm really longing for? What is it that's really inside of me? You see, longing is often determined and brought up by our emotions. Our emotions give us indications of how we're doing in this. Henry Nouwen wrote this. Our life is a short time in expectation, a time in which sadness and joy kiss each other at every moment. There's a quality of sadness that pervades all the moments of our lives. It seems there's no such thing as a clear-cut, pure joy, but that even in the most happy moments of our existence, we sense a tinge of sadness. In every satisfaction, there's an awareness of limitations. In every success, there is the fear of jealousy. Behind every smile, there is a tear. In every embrace, there's loneliness. In every friendship, distance. And in all forms of light, there is the knowledge of surrounding darkness. But this intimate experience in which every bit of life is touched by a bit of death can point us beyond the limits of our existence. You can do so by making us look forward in expectation to the day when our hearts will be filled with perfect joy a joy that no one shall take away from us. Let's pray for a moment. Father, you have uniquely created and made us. There are things that we want to do and be and dreams. There's something that at times we feel such fulfillment and then it seems like the longing is not far away. So in this time of advent, of anticipation, I pray that we would see something bigger, something fulfilling, something that you've placed in each one of us. In your name, amen. We know how painfully true that last quote can feel, right? I mean, there's times we feel it, we feel joy, we feel like, man, life doesn't get better than this. 
but then we turn the corner at times and it seems like life kind of gets really hard sometimes and it's like this disorienting season in our life. Let me remind you of something we've said before. What this means is that we are not restful creatures who sometimes get restless, fulfilled people who sometimes are dissatisfied, peaceful people who sometimes experience chaos. Rather, we are restless people who occasionally find rest, dissatisfied people who occasionally find fulfillment, and disquieted people who occasionally find serenity. You see, we don't naturally default into rest and satisfaction and quiet, but kind of quite the opposite. And so we keep ourselves busy and pursuing. But why is this so? Why does it feel like we're walking up an escalator that's going down? Is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with us? You see, at the center of our lives, I believe, is a fiery energy, a perpetual disquiet, a lingering loneliness, an ache for something that we never can quite name. But does this purpose, does this fire inside of us have a purpose? Can it have a benefit? You see, when this fire is viewed apart from faith, or spirituality, and I'm talking about that thing that's inside of you that drives you, that pushes you. When it's seen apart from faith, it can be seen as kind of this blind, chaotic, erotic, high voltage of fire. And it's used however we want to use it. We use it in creativity, and we use it in love, and we use it in sex, and we use it in hate, and altruism, and boredom, and martyrdom. Like whatever this passion is, it's kind of like you do you. Right? We've seen that, like, man, that person has this, and, and they're using it however they want to use it. And apart from a faith or spirituality, that's how we see this. But in the context of even maybe religion, we kind of look at this a little flat where we say those fleshly desires, those are the things the world gets to enjoy, but I don't. And we're called to resist those thoughts, to suppress those urges, look the other direction. That somehow we believe that we can just ignore this fire and see it to be some kind of like a higher level of spirituality. But that's saying that the fire is the problem. What if the fire wasn't the problem? What if the thing burning, what if the longing that is inside of you wasn't the problem? You see, this can also be understood in a very different way way? What if the fire injury is not simply blind, this blind, erotic, wild, promiscuous force? But what if this fire that is inside of you, this longing that is inside of you, this discontent has a very singular focus and intent? What if this inner passion inside of you was actually a sacred fire? What if this inside of you was a holy longing? St. Augustine wrote this, you have made us for yourself, Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Because here's the truth. It's not just about ignoring the passion, the eros, 
the things inside of us that we may call like, this is temptation, it's just my inner. But what if we're not called to ignore it? But it's actually something different. What if to follow Jesus well is just to have him tending the fire that he created in us? What if instead of looking at this thing that's inside of us as something to be controlled by ourselves, but simply saying, Jesus, will you tend the longing inside of me? To try to understand this a little bit, we also, we need to do this. We need to take Jesus out of this box that he simply existed for 33 years and that we only look at him for the three years and we go, that's Jesus. That's all I know of Jesus. But what if we took him out of his box and pulled deeper and we looked at John per se. And John wrote about the future, obviously in Revelation. But in his gospel of Jesus, he also wrote about how it all began. So since I've told you we're going back to the beginning a lot, let's just do it again. John chapter one, if you have this, Matthew starts the story of Jesus and a genealogy leading to Jesus's life. Mark just jumps in, right, when Jesus gets baptized. Luke tells us the biblical story of how Jesus came to be. And John goes, I'm gonna one-up you all. I'm gonna talk about the whole world and the whole life existence. So John says this, in the beginning, was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. But the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and here it is. But he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born out of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. You see, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father. So John pulls us to the beginning to understand Advent, to understand Christmas, to understand this holy longing that we talk about of anticipation. John pulls us back to the very beginning of time because that's where we need to go to understand this fire that's within us and how it affects us. It's in the creation of life that describes humanity with this created fire. So let me read this to you from Genesis, very beginning. Uh, chapter one, verses 27, 28. God created mankind. See if you can grab it here. Where does this fire come from? God created mankind in his own image. It starts right there. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. 
and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And then rule, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Did you see some of this? Where you can read this as God gave this to Moses to teach the people of Israel that had been hearing so much about origin stories from different cultures. And God goes, here is the origin story. This is what I want you to know. Do you see this even in yourself? This fire comes from this. First, we are image bearers of who? Of God, the creator. That's a little fire. He's not just like, here's some people. He's like, what separates you and me from the rest of creation is God's image in us. God created mankind in his own image in the image of God who created him. This is such a huge concept. It's almost like we just go, yeah, yeah, I'm in God's image, but what are we having for lunch today? Right? Or what am I worried about today? The Imago Dei, or the image of God is the theological truth that all humanity, everyone sitting in this room, has the creator God's image stamped on them. That fire within you. God's like, I've making you a little different. But being made in the image of God separates humanity from the rest of creation. This fire is really the source of justice that we have. The error that we make as followers of Jesus is say, I'm about this justice, not about that justice. But the entirety of justice for humanity, the fire where that comes from is God saying, all have been created in my image. Being image bearers means that all humanity, all children in the womb or out of the womb and adults, however old, all men and women, all ethnicities and people groups, all able and disabled, all incarcerated and free people have an errant and equal dignity, value, and worth. Humans do not earn their dignity and value through work, through culture, through government or society. Rather, the dignity, value, and worth is given directly by God. That is why when there is something going wrong against certain people, we feel that. We should feel that. How should a group of people who have been created in God's image feel when somebody who's also created in God's image is getting the raw deal or is being pushed aside? That fire within you, God created, and he's like, they're my people too. What are you gonna do? And we get all confused and politicized about it, but the very core of the kingdom of God says that fire is for justice. It doesn't just start with there, but it goes, we are blessed by God. Man, it starts with God saying, I'm on your side. I'm behind you. Let's move. Let's go forward. This passion to love, to lead, to serve, to bring heaven to earth. This is God's stamp on us. The third piece is he says this, all humans, we as humans have the ability to replicate these blessed image bearers. Come on. This is the eros. This is the passion that's within us. 
This is how we procreate, not just to procreate, but God put that sexual desire within you for a holy, sacred purpose, his purpose. This eros, this erotic love comes from him. That's his purpose. The final one is we have been commissioned the ability to desire to rule, the responsibility to lead, and the passion for new things is all in us. As God said, you are made in my image. I bless you, multiply, and rule. The reason we long is because we are searching for the things outside of God to fulfill those spots. We're ruling for our purposes. We're procreating or engaging in sexual activity for our purposes, not for God's. Remember, following Jesus well is to have him tend the fire that he created in us from the very beginning. Jesus, tend this, your ways. So from the beginning, Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit in the garden are ordering this creation that they have intentionally created with this fire within us. But we know what happens next. There is a competition to tend the fire. There is somebody else trying to get involved in this. He's like, man, God, you created somebody a little lower than the angels, but you gave them senses and bodily functions and you put fire in them. You do not realize what you've done, God. I'm going after it too. So Satan meets Eve. And we see this in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals and the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and here it is, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the servant, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And here's the battle for the fire. Come on, you will not certainly die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Basically saying you will know there's a fire in you and man, you, that fire is fun. Let me tend it. I think when I realize that the passion and the fire within me is a holy, sacred one, and the battle is for that, that's the battle in your own heart as well. So sometimes we try and ignore the fire through suppression or, or discipline. Some people try and flip this whole thing. They flip the Imago Dei to say, no, God's in our image. And they do this because they lead with how they think it should be interpreted to support what they've determined. But this allows this fire to control us. Is there a fire in you? I mean, there's times we have just squashed that thing. But the fire, the longing, can't there be something different was put in there by God. Let's look back at John just for a moment again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things 
were made, including you. Then this word became flesh, a baby. He humbled himself and took on the form of a baby, flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So here's what happened in all of this, ready? The one from the very beginning of time who created this fire within us came in the form that he created humans to address the broken holy longing and bring shalom back into the world as it was in the garden. That is Christmas. That is Christmas. That is Advent. Let me read that to you again. The one from the very beginning of time that made all things, including the passion and love within you, comes into the form that he created. It was his idea, but he came into the form of the creator, went into the form of the creation to address the broken, holy longing to bring shalom back into the world as it was in the garden. That's Christmas. Do you feel it? Do you sense it? What Advent, the anticipation, what the birth of the Son of God really is, is like I'm coming to help you exist like you did in the garden. That you look back and that you look forward one day. It's not just this, well, Jesus came and it's so exciting, let's give presents, which of course it is, we celebrate. But what are you longing for? That's what Jesus came for. Where have you got, let the enemy tend the fire within you? That's what Jesus came for, because following Jesus is about what we do with that desire that he placed within us. What we do with our breath, life, the handling of the hope and the pain, each of these are informed by the way of Jesus. What we do and how we handle the unrest inside of us. This is formed by the way of Jesus, how we channel the passion that we have inside of us. The eros within us is informed by the way and life of Jesus and channeling the longing within us through disciplines and habits are informed by the way of Jesus. Are you getting what I'm saying? This fire that is within us, this passion to do something, to rule, to work, to lead, to engage sexually with each other. That fire came from God and Jesus is saying, let me tend it. That's why I came. Let me read you something from Ronald Rollheiser from his book, Holy Longing. A God who is everywhere can also seem like he is nowhere. We believe in what we can touch, see, hear, smell, and taste. We're not angels without bodies, but sensual creatures in the true sense of the word sensuality. We have five senses that are, and we are present in the world through those senses. We know through them, communicate through them, and are open to each other in the world only through them. And God, having created our nature, respects how it operates. 
Thus, God deals with us through our senses. The Jesus who walked the roads of Palestine could be seen, touched, and heard. In the incarnation, God became physical because we are creatures of sensors who at one point need a God with some skin. Isn't that true? We need a God with some skin. Because what we see, what we hear, those seem to be the areas of battle for tension. During the season of Advent, this calendar of rhythm anticipating a time when we can be overrun, right, by to-dos and have-tos and decorations and how things should be or how things used to be. That's all included in the season, of course. We miss the people who are no longer here to celebrate this with us, or we anticipate maybe new people celebrating it with us. And all of those things are valuable, important. We're celebrating a part of this Advent season tonight with something beautiful as lighting a tree and being together. And may it never be lost on us. The longing inside of you is nothing wrong with you. It was placed inside of you. And Jesus is saying, let me tend it. Let me have access to it. For that's why I came. Pay attention to how God deals with you during this season, how he engages with you during this season, how he communicates with you this season. And my encouragement for you as we're gonna look for, we, as we even look for on Christmas day, this is what we're gonna be reminded of. Pay attention, my friends. I mean, seriously, pay attention to what you see, to what you hear, to what you smell, to what you feel, man, and what you taste. Because all of those things point to the fire inside of you. And all of those things can be part of God addressing the holy longing inside of you. The senses that get elevated are most likely somehow tied to this longing inside of us or that fire he placed in us. And, and so as God deals, engages, and communicates with us this season, what is, what is he calling out in you? I mean, you know. What is he trying to tend with you? I mean, it is as practical this, uh, the other day because I'm in this and all of a sudden that's all I can think about is who's tending my fire. And I'm like, man, this is a lot easier not to worry about that, God. Like, can I just go back to not thinking about these kinds of things, right? And so then I'm scrolling on something, Facebook, Instagram or something, and something jumps out of me and it is stoking the fire and it is not a holy stoking. You know what I'm talking about, maybe. And at that moment, I go, God's not tending the fire. This is putting some gas on the passion. So I need to call it out and go, stop, and give it back to God. That's paying attention to what you see and what you hear. Let me close our time with a parable. A man came up to a teacher and he was complaining about the hiddenness of God. Teacher, he said, I am an old man 
And during my whole life, I have always kept the commandments. Every year of my adult life, I went to Jerusalem and I offered sacrifices. Every night of my life, I did not retire to my bed without first saying my prayers. But I look at the stars and sometimes the mountains and wait and wait for God to come so that I might see him. I have waited for years and years, but in vain. Why? Mine is a great grievance. Why doesn't God show himself to me? The teacher smiled and responded gently. Once upon a time, he says, there was a marble throne at the eastern gate of a great city. And on this throne sat 3,000 kings and all of them called upon God to appear so that they might see him and so that he might see them. But all went to their graves without their wishes fulfilled. Then when all the kings died, a pauper, a poor man, a humble man, who was barefoot and hungry, came and sat upon one of the thrones by himself. God, he whispered, the eyes of a human being cannot look directly at the sun, they would be blinded. How then can they look directly at you? Have pity, Lord, temper your strength, turn down your splendor so that I, who am poor and afflicted, may see you. The teacher then looked at the old man and finished his parable by saying, at that moment, God became a piece of bread for the man's hunger, a glass of water to quench his thirst. He became a warm blanket to help him in the cold and shelter to protect him for what was ahead of him. Thank you, Lord, the pauper whispered. You humbled yourself for my sake. You became bread. You became water. You became a warm blanket and a shelter in order that I might see you. And I did see you. And I bowed down and worshiped your beloved face. My friends, take a breath. The fire that leads you so many stray places is the fire that God has put into you. Take a breath. How can you let God tend that? For Christmas, the thing we celebrate is the God who created that fire came to meet you with a piece of bread, with a glass of cold water, with a warm blanket, with something so tangible. But if you stay so busy, you'll never see it. So take a moment to look. Take a moment to say, what am I seeing? What am I hearing? And how is God in this? My heart for you this morning, and you as well, is that you would honestly look at the things of your heart, the things you desire, and say, thank you, God. Honestly, thank you, God, for the fire that you've put inside of me. Thank him for it. Don't fight it, just give it to him. Say, what does it mean to let God tend the fire within me? As we close, let me pray this prayer over you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. This power, this fire is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but in the, also in the age to come. Holy Spirit, descend upon our family, descend upon our people that they may know you and feel you and experience you and pull you into places they never have before. We love you. Do something great. In your name, amen. God bless you, my friends. Have an amazing week. Hopefully you see it tonight as we light up a tree. We're not going to put fire on the tree. We're just going to light up a tree. God bless you. Have a great, amazing, amazing day.